the president's people talk about, well, there's no quid pro quo. Well, first of all, there doesn't have to be. And second of all, there plainly was. Uh, and indeed, not only do we have the phone call, but as the weeks are going along, it becomes clearer and clearer that it wasn't just Mr. Trump speaking off the cuff, but in fact, this phone call was part of a larger effort to put direct pressure on, the, on, on Ukraine and its president. There's a lot in the call summary that the White House released. There's a lot in whenever President Trump goes before an open mic. It's not really the case of, uh, you know, what did the president know and when did he know it? A lot of the information is there already. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from a sunny Southern California with a wee bit of fire on the side. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out titled The Sled and How to Get Sued. Well, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take this time to welcome and thank our sponsors, Clio and Blue Jay Legal. Clio is a cloud-based practice management software, and they're having their annual Clio Cloud Conference in San Diego on October 21st and 22nd. Also, check out their new podcast called Matters, now on the Legal Talk Network or your favorite podcasting app. And Blue Jay Legal. Blue Jay Legal's AI-powered foresight platforms accurately predict court outcomes and accelerate case research by using factors instead of keywords. You can learn more at bluejlegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com, bluejlegal.com. On September 24th, 2019, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi initiated an impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump. The inquiry began after a whistleblower report alleged that along with other top administrative officials and personal associates, the president had abused the power of his office by pressuring leaders of foreign nations, most notably the Ukraine, to advance his own political interests. Unsurprisingly, that White House and its allies have been vocally opposed to the inquiry and in many cases have sought to impede the investigation, with some officials and connected actors refusing to comply with congressional subpoenas. Despite these efforts, Democrats continue to work to build a case of impeachment by gathering evidence through the testimony of various players connected to the whistleblower complaint. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to spotlight impeachment. We will discuss the inquiry, the process, the players, and what this means for the presidency, as well as the country itself. To do that, we've got a great show for you today. Our first guest is returning guest, attorney Frank O. Bowman III. He's professor of law at the University of Missouri Law School. Frank spent three years as a trial attorney in the criminal division in Washington, D.C. In 1995, he served as special counsel to the U.S. Sentencing Commission in Washington, D.C., and he currently teaches criminal law, criminal sentencing, and impeachable offenses. He is the author of High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment for the Age of Trump, put out by Cambridge University Press this year, 2019. And welcome back to the show, Frank. Nice to be here. 
And our next guest is attorney Gene Healy. He's vice president at the Cato Institute. His research interests include executive power and the role of the presidency, as well as federalism and over-criminalization. He's the author of False Idol, Barack Obama and the Continuing Cult of the Presidency, and another book, The Cult of the Presidency, America's Dangerous Devotion to Executive Power. He's also an editor of Go Directly to Jail, The Criminalization of Almost Everything, and has written extensively on today's topic. Welcome to the show, Gene. Thanks for having me on. Well, Gene, let's start with you. Kind of uh, always like to start with a background question, kind of give us some orientation about our discussion today. Let's talk about the impeachment inquiry, how it got started, whether it needs a vote, whether it doesn't need a vote, and how it's going to progress as we go through. Kind of a quick class in con law. Well, I don't think it needs a vote. The Constitution says very little about procedures in the House, other than that the House has the sole power of impeachment and that it gets to make its own rules. So uh, there's another argument about whether uh, Speaker Pelosi should genuflect towards past practice uh, and uh, have a formal vote to authorize an inquiry, which has been done in the past. But there's nothing in the Constitution that requires that, and it's certainly not a valid excuse for resisting congressional subpoenas. Frank, let's talk about basically the the concept of treason itself. You know, can you tell us what is treason? Is you know asking a foreign government to investigate a political rival treason or an impeachable crime? It's certainly impeachable, regardless of whether it's, it's crime, which uh, impeachment does not impeachable conduct does not require a crime. But let's start with you know, your first the first part of your question, which has to do with treason. Of course, what you're referring to is the fact that in the Constitution, uh, it says that the, the president, the vice president, and other civil officers shall be impeachable only for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, the first item on that list, treason, is certainly a crime. It's the only crime that is actually defined in the Constitution itself. The treason is extraordinarily narrowly defined in the Constitution. It's defined effectively as giving aid and comfort to the enemy in a time of war, didn't really declared war, uh, and therefore treason prosecutions in general are very rare. And certainly nothing that we know about with respect to Mr. Trump fits that definition. But that's really beside the point because the bulk of um, impeachments, regardless of the type of official in American practice, have been for high crimes and misdemeanors, uh, an old uh, English term of art. And high crimes and misdemeanors, the first thing to remember about it is that it doesn't mean what you think it means. It does not require that the impeached official uh, have committed any indictable uh, crime at all. Uh, rather, high crimes and misdemeanors just describes uh, when it was put into the Constitution, it was put into the Constitution because it was a phrase that the British Parliament had used for a very long time to describe the kinds of things that Parliament had impeached people for. And it remains a, a very general term uh, to refer to a variety of kinds of bad conduct, primarily, or, or, or a primary kind of bad conduct that's impeachable is abuse of power. Uh, whether or not uh, the abuse of power is, is criminal is really beside the point. So, yes, I think what Mr. Trump has done uh, with respect to Ukraine is an impeachable offense. It is a high crime misdemeanor, uh, but it's not treason. 
uh, and it need not be an indictable crime. Well, Gene, let's talk about uh, America's dangerous devotion to executive power and that perfect telephone call. Is it perfect because he says it is? <laughs> well, I, you know, you listen to uh, some of the uh, the spin about that call uh, from the president and uh, his allies. Uh, they seem to have set the bar so high that uh, unless there's a, an explicit quid pro quo, I will do this for you if you do that for me, uh, then uh, it's it's perfect and there's no uh, misconduct in that phone call. But actually that phone call, uh, particularly as the context around that phone call emerges, the call summary itself uh, looks bad enough. Let's stipulate that you know, presidents, uh, you know, have many reasons to withhold foreign aid. Uh, this carrot and a stick for uh, the foreign policy interests of the United States. So, if uh, that call was uh, asking for a better trade deal with Ukraine or, or something of that nature, and the and uh, that was a possible reason for the holdup of uh, military aid that, that Congress had approved, then, uh, you know, we could talk about whether that's legitimate. But one thing is clear, it's not in the foreign policy interests of the United States uh, to dig up dirt on President Trump's political enemies. Uh, you know, what that call reminds me of, the, and the uh, motivation that it seems to be clearly behind uh, the request uh, to reopen to open investigation into uh, uh, Joe Biden and his son. It reminds me of the infamous uh, enemies list memo from John Dean, White House counsel under Nixon, where uh, they talk. He talks about uh, using the available federal machinery to screw our political enemies. The screwing Donald Trump's political enemies is not a foreign policy interest to the United States. And if he's using the power of the office to advance that, as it seems clear he was, then uh, yes, I agree with, with Frank that that is pretty clearly an impeachable offense. Well, Frank, let's talk about that. You know, there's there's strategies on both sides. Both camps are using. We've we've heard it. You know, a perfect telephone call, and all we're doing is looking for the facts. We have history on our side in this case, and and what can we learn from history with this? I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen impeachment. Well, of course not. Although impeachments of American presidents have been very rare up to this point in. American history, there have really only been three very serious attempts to impeach President Andrew Johnson in 1868, um, President Richard Nixon in the 1970s, and of course, uh, Bill Clinton in the 1990s. Uh, but one thing that I think we can say about even presidential impeachments is that abuse of power is uh, universally conceded to be an impeachable offense. The analogy to President Nixon is really quite close. Nixon was charged in three articles of impeachment. The first was formally about obstruction. The second was abuse of power. And the third, uh, interestingly enough, given current circumstances, was uh, for essentially refusing to respond properly to House Judiciary Committee subpoenas. But in every case, the essence of what Nixon was alleged to have done was over a period of time and in different ways, he used either the powers of the federal law enforcement and, and intelligence and security services, or in some cases, privately hired people 
he'd uh, nested in the White House, the so-called plumbers, to either A, get dirt on or punish his political enemies, or B, try to cover up uh, the fact that he had done that. Now, uh, the analogy between that and Mr. Trump is pretty exact, the only difference being that Mr. Trump is using his powers in foreign policy and military policy, but more specifically his commander-in-chief power relative to military, military affairs and his power as effectively the principal diplomat of the United States, to do exactly the same thing. I mean, he is, as Gene says, he's trying to get dirt on a political enemy, and critically, He's not just talking to any country. He's certainly not talking to a country that is in any way in a position of parity with with him or with the United States. It really bears mentioning, it bears reminding to people who aren't aware of where Ukraine is and what its situation is, is this is a country that, of course, was formerly a part of the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union fell, Ukraine became independent. And since then, Russia has been persistently trying to get Ukraine back into its orbit or perhaps even annex uh, it wholly and bring it back into a greater, in fact, Russian empire. The Ukrainians have had part of their territory absolutely annexed in in the form of the Crimea, uh, and they are consistently fighting uh, a a low-grade but very real war in the eastern part of their country supported by the Russians. In short, the independence of Ukraine uh, is very tenuous, both politically and territorially, and its continued independence depends critically on the support of the United States uh, and NATO and Western allies. Uh, that support takes economic forms, it takes military forms, it takes diplomatic forms. And what Mr. Trump said in that famous phone call is really pretty explicit. He goes, in his typical sort of word salad way, he talks about how all the wonderful things that the United States does for the Ukraine. But then he says, but it's not reciprocal. In other words, you're not giving us enough. And the thing he wants in reciprocity, the thing he wants is a favor. And that favor is investigation into a couple of things, including Mr. Biden. So as Gene points out, the, the president's people talk about, well, there's no quid pro quo. Well, first of all, there doesn't have to be. And second of all, there plainly was. Uh, And indeed, not only do we have the phone call, but as the weeks are going along, it becomes clearer and clearer that it wasn't just Mr. Trump speaking off the cuff, but in fact, this phone call was part of a larger effort um, to put direct pressure on on Ukraine and its president. Uh, to help Mr. Trump get dirt on his enemies. And that's completely impermissible. It's an abuse of power and it's impeachable. Yeah, I think there are, uh, there are parallels with uh, at least two of the three articles of impeachment that the House Judiciary passed in the summer of uh, 1974 against Richard Nixon. Uh, Article 2, as Frank mentioned, about abuse of power. Uh, I think there's a, a close parallel there. And uh, Article 3, about contempt of Congress and obstruction of an impeachment inquiry. And in fact, in the policy, the, the president or the, the White House counsel announced uh, earlier this week, or was it last week, of you know blanket non-cooperation is 
actually more obstructive than what uh, the policy Richard Nixon pursued and was impeached by the House Judiciary Committee for. I mean, Article Three the, uh, against Nixon, the charges are that uh, you know selective and uh, duplicitous compliance with uh, congressional subpoenas, and I think it's uh, not until the very end that Nixon decided not to cooperate any further. Uh, but at least initially, it was partial and selective compliance with uh, the uh, congressional subpoenas in an impeachment inquiry. President Trump, uh, through his White House counsel, has announced uh, up front that there's not going to be any compliance. Now, it doesn't seem to be working out that way in part because not everyone that has been called to testify is willing to put themselves on the line for him, but uh, his policy... Uh, is a blanket stonewall, uh, which is uh, more extreme than the, than the conduct that uh, Article Three of the Nixon impeachment was based on, and that helped uh, drive President Nixon out of office. It's definitely something we'd like to talk about when we come back from our break. But before we move on to our next segment, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Predict legal outcomes with Blue Jay Legal's Foresight Platforms. Using AI to analyze thousands of cases and administrative rulings, Blue Jay Legal can predict with 90% accuracy, on average, how a judge would likely rule in your case. Plus, you can research by factors and outcomes to find the relevant cases in seconds. Stay ahead of the curve and learn more at bluejaylegal.com. That's blue, the letter J, legal.com. Bluejaylegal.com. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is returning guest attorney Frank O. Bowman III, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law, and attorney Gene Healy, a vice president at the Cato Institute. And right before the break, we were talking about what I'm just going to classify as alternative political realities. It seems like when we hear political people speak in Congress, we've got Two, two ways of looking at things. President Trump didn't do anything wrong, and President Trump did something wrong that was impeachable. How can these people, Frank, see these things so differently? I don't think that they do see them differently, at least. <laughs> I honestly don't think that most of the people that are speaking on Mr. Trump's behalf believe much, if any, of what they say. You know, certainly those people who are paid to represent him as lawyers have got to make the best case they can. But I don't really credit the notion that anybody believes that there was, for example, there wasn't a quid pro quo here or believes that it's perfectly all right for a president of the United States to leverage the vast power of the United States against an endangered country in order to get dirt on his political enemies. I don't believe that they believe that. But, I mean... There certainly are alternative political realities here, and they're created, I think, by, let's put it as nicely as possible, political timidity on the part of a good number of folks who, at least in public, support Mr. Trump. And that timidity, of course, is 
exacerbated or maybe caused by a media environment in which you know, a lot of the facts that are emerging about um, Mr. Trump's activities either are, are simply not being reported to a certain segment of the population or are being categorized as lies or deep state conspiracies or heaven knows what. I don't think the people in Congress who are talking about this believe much of anything of what they're saying. And the other thing that's particularly notable, actually, about remarks from Republicans in Congress is the lack of them. It seems to me that most of the folks who might be expected to come out vociferously in defense of this administration have been notably silent. Well, Gene, where do we... uh... We have Sondland coming out. We've been kind of getting daily bombshells from Congress in these private hearings. Uh, You mentioned that there was a no prid quo quo tweet. Uh, Sondland's expected to testify that was dictated by the president. How's that going to play? Well, we'll we'll see. What I think is interesting about this is uh, it took quite a long time from the beginning of congressional and special uh, prosecutor investigations in the Nixon case for the truth to emerge. You know, they, they talked about the, in the language of Watergate, you have a lot of these terms that are, uh, that have entered our political parlance that that are usually terms about uh, concealment. You know, they, they talked about the limited modified hangout. And while it's certainly true that, uh, you know, President Trump has adopted this policy of stonewalling, there is this other element where whenever he goes in front of a microphone, uh, he's almost indicting himself. Uh, a week or so ago, when he, <laughs> I think it was about 30 seconds after he talked about all the uh, levers that the president has uh, to, to hammer China on trade, he adds, uh, and I think China should investigate the Bidens and, uh, you know, and, and the Ukraine should. So, uh, I think there's a lot in the call summary that the White House released. There's a lot in whenever President Trump goes before an open mic. It's not really the case of, a, you know, what did the president know and when did he know it? A lot of the information is there already. People can make their judgments about it. And it seems to me that the House leadership w- would like to move this along so as not to in the middle of an impeachment inquiry and the middle of a Senate trial just months before a a presidential election. You know, I think the Sondland testimony and uh, testimony from other officials this week uh, has uh, filled out the picture quite a bit, but the picture was already fairly complete as of about two weeks ago. So maybe we'll learn more but uh, we already know a good bit of the story. Well, Frank, we have uh, just a few minutes left in our discussion today, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with the uh, give you a chance to put out your contact information. So here you go. Well, <laughs> hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, how do you summarize this? I mean, there's a million things that are going on all swirling around at the same time. I mean, Will we be headed toward impeachment where uh, we get a House that votes and then we're going to see a trial? Do you think Trump is going to turn around and say, OK, I've had enough. I'm going to step out of this. I mean, are we going to see a art of the deal negotiation to uh, walk away like Nixon did? Uh, no, <laughs> I think it seems clear to me that there there's not only going to be articles of impeachment emerging from 
the Judiciary Committee at some point, but also that the House will, full House will vote on them. And moreover, it seems extraordinarily likely that they will approve some articles of impeachment against Mr. Trump. The really interesting issue is actually how broad or how narrow those might be. There is certainly one school of thought that it should be limited really to the Ukraine affair because the facts, as Gene says, are actually pretty darn clear and becoming clearer by the day. Now, the wrongfulness of what he did is really not debatable by anyone who is not already enthralled to the man, and therefore it's a nice, clear case. On the other hand, um, there's an argument he made for trying to draft articles of impeachment that fit this particular incident into a broader picture, wrapping in perhaps elements of Mueller, the Mueller investigation, perhaps um, speaking more about other of Mr. Trump's foreign policy misadventures, and so forth and so on, which course the House is going to take, uh, a simple or a more complex case remains to be seen, but that there will be articles of impeachment and that the House will almost certainly approve them, I think, is no longer really in doubt. The real question is simply whether or not the case becomes sufficiently compelling and, and Mr. Trump's political support erodes sufficiently far that some number of Republicans in the Senate begin to see that he's a political liability uh, or simply see their duty as uh, as people sworn uh, to uphold the Constitution to find that he committed impeachable offenses. That's where the uncertainty is. And, you know, as they say, time will tell. Gene, are we going to see Chief Justice Roberts sitting at the uh, head of the Senate and conducting a trial after this impeachment occurs? Well, if so, I hope he doesn't uh, use the uh, yellow stripes on the robe that uh, Justice Chief Justice Rehnquist did 20 years ago. I guess my final thoughts would be, uh, I think we should uh, be less anxious and angsty about impeachment than we too typically are. I do think that the framers would probably have been surprised uh, at how few serious efforts there have been at presidential impeachments over 230 years. And while none of them were eager to see very frequent presidential impeachments, you know, Hamilton in the most prescient thing he ever said uh, predicted that you know, they'd agitate the passions of the whole community. I don't think the view that impeachment is a constitutional doomsday device and an automatic constitutional crisis is one that they would have embraced or that we should embrace. I think we should welcome this process. It's not the uh, end of the world that every generation or so uh, we remind the the president that he serves at the pleasure of the of the rest of us, and remind ourselves that we have this constitutional process for judging his, his conduct. So, uh, you know, I think uh, we we should not look at this process as a constitutional crisis. We should look at it as the Constitution working in the way that it's intended to work. Great, and I'll give you the opportunity to mention your books and your contact information if you'd like. You can visit the Cato Institute website at www.catocato.org. And uh, if you'd like, you can follow me at Gene, G-E-N-E-H-E-A-L-Y, on Twitter. Great. And Frank? And I'm Frank Bowman, and I teach at the University of Missouri School of Law. You can 
read some of my stuff about impeachment on my blog, which is called Impeachable Offenses, uh, and you can find it at impeachableoffenses.net. And of course, uh, I've recently written a book on the subject entitled High Crimes and Misdemeanors, A History of Impeachment to the Age of Trump, uh, available at uh, both online and uh, one hopes at a brick-and-mortar bookstore near you. And our listeners can reach out to you on your websites? Yeah, they can reach me on through the blog, or they can reach me through email, which is bowmanf at missouri.edu. Great. Well, thank you both for being on our program. We'd like to thank Franco Bowman, professor of law at the University of Missouri School of Law, and attorney Gene Healy, vice president at the Cato Institute, for joining us today and talking about impeachment. And it looks like we've reached the end of our program. And if you'd like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. Remember, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. Produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.